You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Welcome Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Five oh six to the podcast. This is Big Man. The Air Force Sports Podcast. It is Monday, March fourteenth, two thousand twenty-two. People. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's having a great day. And if you hear me giggling, I just I don't even know what to say about today's episode of the Aerotora Sports Podcast. Let me do a quick, I'm just going to get some stuff off my chest here right off the top, okay? Because what I would say is that today's episode, the post-bracket reveal episode, is often my favorite episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I have some of you tell me that it is your favorite episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast all year. As we break down this bracket, we talk about all these teams, all these matchups, who's playing who, what does this mean for that? But here's the problem. While the bracket is maybe my single favorite moment of the year, we also had, oh, I don't know, the greatest player in the history of the NFL unretire on Sunday as well. And so this is what we're going to do. You got to forgive me if you're a college hoops diehard. I need about five to ten minutes off the top just to talk Tom Brady. I'm going to give you just a couple quick thoughts on this retirement. It broke while I was on air on Fox Sports Radio. Then from there, we'll dive into the bracket. I really have not had a ton of time to really think about it, so I will react to the bracket, not really in real time, but not really having had a ton of time to think about it either. We'll have fun. We'll talk about the bracket. We'll, we'll go through it team by team as we always do, and then we'll wrap the show. How about this coaching carousel? Because since I last talked to you on Friday, we'll wait. No longer the LSU head coach. And Mike White, who has been my personal whipping boy. I mean, I just go after this guy relentlessly. Mike White leaves Florida for Georgia. And I will tell you this. There are tears of joy rolling in the streets of Gainesville. When you make a hire and the school that lost their head coach is more happy than your own fans are, oh, that's a conversation to be had. So we will talk about the bracket. We will talk about Will Wade. We will talk about Mike White, Georgia, all that good stuff. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, let me say this. Um, so I, I think you guys and girls know, but I work for Fox Sports Radio. Very blessed to do what I do. Love what I do. I got called in to do the Selection Sunday bracket show on Sunday. I was on from 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern. I was on during the start of the, big, or the end of the Big Ten Championship game, the end of the AAC Championship game, and then I was on 
when the bracket was revealed at 6 p.m. Eastern. At that point, we go team by team, line by line, and at the 7 o'clock hour Eastern, as the bracket is officially out at 7 Eastern, we're going to spend the next hour just totally breaking down the bracket. And then I don't know, oh, I don't know, about 7, 7, 10 p.m. Eastern time, I get a little birdie in my ear. It's my producer saying, we have late-breaking news. And I said, what could it possibly be? I want to talk about Iowa versus Richmond. I want to talk about Wisconsin versus LSU in the second round. LSU doesn't even have a head coach. And he goes, oh, by the way, Tom Brady has unretired as the starting quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL, was retired, stepped aside, and now he's back. And so like I said off the top, just give me about five to seven minutes to talk about this because I only have a few thoughts on this Tom Brady stuff, but I do think it is a fascinating conversation. I think it's a fascinating topic, so let's get into it. Let's discuss. Let's debate. And what I would say off the top is this. I always believed in my heart of hearts, and I think I might have talked about it the day after Tom Brady retired, I always believed in my heart of hearts that Tom Brady was eventually going to come back to the NFL. Now, I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't think it'd be this soon. I thought it was at least possible he would come back next year, but I thought that decision wouldn't be made until the summer, until late summer, until training camp was set to open. I did not think that about six weeks after he officially announced his retirement that Tom Brady would return this quickly, but I always thought he would come back. And the reason I always thought he would come back was for two simple reasons. Let's get into that. The first reason that I believe, I always believe that Tom Brady was going to come back is because for him to retire, he lost a piece of his soul, okay? And so what I mean by that is this, okay? We all know in life, but also in sports, and for the simplicity of this conversation, we'll keep it to sports. There is a difference between somebody who has a career and somebody who has a job. There is a difference between somebody that shows up to work if they're supposed to be there at 9 walks through the door at 8.59, puts in the absolute minimum, and then walks out the door at 5.01. And even in sports, there is a difference, even with great players, there is a difference between players who eat, sleep, and breathe it, and it is really their only interest, and people who are, even players that are really, really, really good, who clearly have other passions in life, right? And I think we all know who those guys are. Russell Westbrook is a great basketball player. I know he's getting crushed with the Los Angeles Lakers right now, but Russell Westbrook is an all-timer. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, all that good stuff. But Russell Wilson has his passion projects on the side. He's got his fashion. He's walking down the runway in Milan during the offseason. That's who Russell Wilson is. Same with Cam Newton, by the way. Cam Newton, really great NFL quarterback. But he did also, uh, he also does have the interest in the fashion and the this and the that, and he's doing his own scripted you know, documentaries and whatever. Aaron Rodgers, love Aaron Rodgers, really awesome football player. But what did he do last offseason? He was hanging out in the mountains of Hawaii playing a banjo. Like, like, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with having interests outside of what you do. But then there are those people in sports and in life too, not just, not just professional athletes, that eat, sleep, and breathe what they do, that clearly really have no interest in anything other than than the pursuit of greatness at the highest level of what they do. Nick Saban, perfect example. 
what, did, what, what do we know about Nick Saban? We don't really know anything about Nick Saban. I know he plays golf every once in a while, but he doesn't like to travel. He eats the same meal every day. And for people who think I'm kidding, I'm, I'm being dead serious. He eats the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day at the exact same time. Because to him, trying to decide whether he wants a plate of waffles or a, you know, a, a cheese omelet, that's taking away from his singular pursuit of making Alabama football the best that it can be. There are other people, you know, Eric Musselman, a guy that I know, I'm not comparing Eric Musselman to Nick Saban or Tom Brady in any way, shape, or form. But Eric Musselman, I, I know him well enough to know, like, the guy wakes up, literally all he cares about is what can I do today to make Arkansas basketball the single greatest whatever that it can be. How can I recruit better? How can I coach better? How, who can I learn from? What books can I read? I, I'm not saying I know everything about Coach Musk, but I don't think he's reading uh, Harry Potter to pass the time. If he's reading a book, it's, it's you know, Vince Lombardi's autobiography or Phil Jackson's autobiography. He's trying to figure out a way to make Arkansas basketball the best version of itself that it can possibly be. And I bring it up because Tom Brady is the exact same way. Tom Brady, we all know that literally all he has cared about for the last 22 years since he got to the NFL and really probably the six or seven years before that. So we're talking close to 30 years right now. Literally the only thing that he cares about What can I do today to make me the best possible quarterback that I can be? What do I have to eat? How do I sleep? How do I lift? How do I stretch? Literally all he cares about. And so in asking him to retire, and I don't believe that he wanted to retire. I believe that it was a family decision. I believe that he wanted to make his family happy. But in asking him to retire... You're asking him to basically give away not just football, but give away everything that defines Tom Brady except for being a father and being a husband. Tom Brady clearly has no interest outside of football. He doesn't appear to travel. He doesn't appear to play golf. When he does travel, it's, so, it's to go somewhere to throw with his wide receivers. He gets signed to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the middle of a pandemic. What's the first thing he do, does? He's working out in a park in Tampa Bay illegally because that's all he cares about. He's won six Super Bowls at that point. Why would he possibly care? But that's all that he cares about, and that's all that matters to him. And so why I never believed that Tom Brady was fully retired was because to take away football from him is to take away his life. It's not just about what happens on Sundays in September. It's about the process leading up to it. And it's about not just when I say the process, I don't mean throwing this many passes in practice or lifting it this time. I mean, Tom Brady, we know the stories. Every single day of his life is scripted down to a minute. I guarantee if you ask Tom Brady, what are you planning? What what are you doing? Let's take out retirement. So two years ago, we know he's playing. If you ask Tom Brady, what are you doing on June 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. I bet Tom Brady has an answer. I bet he says, well, I just finished my lift and I drank my shake and I'm, I did this stretch and I'm doing whatever. Because Tom Brady being a quarterback isn't like a job. It's literally everything. And every moment of his life is about making himself the best possible quarterback that he can be. And so to take football away from him, you're not just taking away football. You're taking away Everything that goes in it, the time, the, 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 the workouts, the stretching, the eating, every single thing, every single moment of every single day is about being the best quarterback that he can possibly be. And I can't imagine 
This isn't a guy that shows up in July at training camp out of shape. Like every moment of every day goes into figuring out what makes him the best quarterback possible. So that was why I never really believed that he was going to retire was because one, it defines him too much. You can't just have every moment of every day regimented and scripted down to the minute and then just give it up and expect to be okay with it. But beyond that, there's a second reason why I never believed that he was going to step away. And it's because this, it's not just because the sport defines him, it's what he loves and he has nothing else going on. It's because, drum roll please, he's still really good. And what I would say is people are saying, and I've heard people say, well, he's got seven Super Bowls, he's 44 years old, what else can he possibly accomplish? It isn't about what he can possibly accomplish, and it isn't about stepping away for the sake of stepping away. It'd be one thing to step away if he simply wasn't good enough anymore, and that's, by the way, what we've seen from all of these other athletes. I know Kobe Bryant scored 60 or 50 or whatever points on his final game of the season, final game of his career, but we all know by the end of the road for Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, he had nothing left. He had Achilles surgery. He had knee surgery. He was 40 plus years old. He wasn't the Kobe of before. And it was time for him to step away. It was time for him to give it up. Whether Kobe wanted to or not, he knew. He got every ounce out of his body that he possibly could. There was nothing left. He can keep playing, but does he want to be the ninth guy off the bench? Or does he want to be Kobe freaking Bryant? It's the same with Peyton Manning, right? Peyton Manning wins that Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. We all watched it. Peyton Manning is still maybe, maybe the most gifted quarterback I've ever seen. Every moment of every play, he knows where to go, what to do, audible this, Omaha that. But by the end, we all watched it with the Broncos. We watched him in that Super Bowl. That Super Bowl was won by the defense and the run game. He wasn't Peyton Manning anymore, and he had nothing left in the tank. Drew Brees a few years ago. He's about the same age as Tom Brady, but we all watched he ain't have nothing left in the tank. But Tom Brady... Did you see him this past year? 44 years old. 43 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. 43 touchdowns, 12 interceptions at 44 years old. 43 touchdowns at 44 years old. You know how many guys threw for more yards this season, 5,300 yards, and Tom Brady? Zero. Tom Brady led the NFL in passing yards at 44 years old. Tom Brady led the NFL in passing touchdowns, 43 touchdowns. That was more than Russell Wilson. That was more than Matthew Stafford. That was more than Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and all these guys that we're raving about. And oh my goodness, the future, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Tom Brady was better than all of them. And so for Tom Brady to step away, what you are now asking him to do is give up his life, give up everything that has defined him for 25 years, and to do it at a time when he still might be the best. Again, I don't mean to like yell and scream and belabor the point, but it's one thing to give up football at 44 when you know that you gave it your all and there's nothing left in the tank. But it's quite another when you gave it your all and there's still something left in the tank. And you know that you outplayed Matthew Stafford in that divisional round game. You were the better quarterback on that field. 
You played the defending Super Bowl champs tougher than anybody else. A break here, a break there, a non-fumble here. You could have won that game. You could have been playing the San Francisco 49ers in Tampa Bay to go to another Super Bowl. And so that was why I always believed Tom Brady was coming back. Um, you know, I've heard some people speculate that Russell Wilson going to the AFC and the AFC completely opening up. I think that's part of it too. But I just think it's Tom Brady knows he has something left in the tank. And that's something I think we can all relate to. If you love your job, if you're great at what you do, and you enjoy the process, you don't want to step away. You don't want to step away. And so to me, those are kind of my only Tom Brady points. There's a million different angles as well. But I think that's ultimately what it comes down to, is that I do believe that he looked around. First of all, I think that, that the timing of this is not unironic, okay? And what I mean by that is pretty straightforward, is if you know professional athletes at all, and I'm not claiming I know professional athletes, but professional athletes, right, you play this long, long, long season. And you have this season that finally ends. You're beat up. You're physically beaten up. You're mentally beaten up. It's basically a seven-day-a-year commitment. Anyone who's ever spoken to a professional athlete, the first month after the season, you're just dead. You just don't do anything. You stay away. You go on vacation. You spend time with your family. But then after about a month, six weeks, assuming you don't have any like major surgery, right? Like It's one thing if you have to, I don't know, get shoulder surgery and you're rehabbing. But it's really about this time. If your season ends whenever, it's really about the middle of March, end of March, early April, that you really start ramping up for next season. And so I don't think it's ironic that Tom Brady now made this decision. Because it's easy the day after the season, the week after the season, even a month after the season, to say, dude, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But then all of a sudden, the calendar says it's March 14th, and I'm supposed to be in the gym doing this, doing that, eating this, getting ready for that, spending this much time doing this, looking at this film. And that's why I believe Tom Brady is back. My last thought, I'm very curious. I'll say this. The Tom Brady stuff is fascinating. You know what I'm most interested in more than anything else? I cannot wait for the first interview that Giselle does about this. And it's interesting, right? Because, I mean, I've talked about all this and all that stuff. But, you know, what I would say is, I'm just going to just put it out there. It was obviously a controversial decision. I don't believe that Tom Brady ever wanted to retire. I do believe that he felt pressure from his family. And I do feel that once that initial Adam Schefter report came out, that he felt pressured that everybody is waiting on a decision. I have to make a decision. But I'd be curious to see what Giselle has to say whenever she does an interview. Because I do believe that he probably made this decision because of her, because of his kids, because of his family. But what I would also say, You can criticize him for a lot. He's singularly driven. He's singularly focused. He spends a lot of time away from his family. If he made the decision to step away, I do not believe that he makes the decision to come back unless he has the full support of his family. And I do wonder, did they see him around the house? Are they used to having him around? You know, are they used to, when I say having him around, I, I mean the opposite. Are they used to having him at the facility for 10, 12, 14 hours a day, and now all of a sudden he's around the house? And he doesn't know what to do. And he doesn't know where to go. And he's getting in everybody's way. And he's kind of moping. And he's not having fun. And there's only so much time you can hang around the pool. And the kids are at school. And Giselle's got her own life. I don't know all her details, but I'm sure she's got her own businesses, her own side businesses. He's got his career. I'm sure she's doing her own thing. 
So now all of a sudden, he's home. He's bumping into her. She's trying to get her stuff done. I'm just curious to see if what her comments are when they eventually come out. Because I don't believe that he does this without her support. And I'm fascinated to see going forward. But forgive me. Had to talk Tom Brady off the top. This is, you know, the single just, I mean, single most fascinating story that I could ever imagine breaking on Selection Sunday. With that said, Tom Brady's back. So what I'm doing, I'll take a quick break. I want to come back. Let's talk about the bracket, baby, because the bracket is out. And there is so much to talk about that. We'll talk about the bracket, um, and I will come back after that. I'll do a little bit on Will Wade and Mike White. But let's take a quick break. We'll talk the bracket. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to switch gears. Tom Brady throwing everybody for a loop. Uh, We got ourselves a bracket. We're going to get to that bracket in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back one of our favorite sponsors, Bracket Fanatics and BracketFanatics.com. March Madness is here, and it's time for you and your friends and some of your enemies, too, to fill out an NCAA tournament bracket. Last year, I told you there was a new and better website for March Madness called Bracket Fanatics. They are back and better than ever, ready to provide you a bracket experience unlike any other, all at BracketFanatics.com. Bracket Fanatics is similar to Yahoo and ESPN in that players can invite friends and make their selections for the tournament, but here's what makes Bracket Fanatics different. First off, they take out all the hard parts of running a bracket. When you start your pool, you set your pool entry fee and payouts. Everyone that joins your bracket can then pay the entry fee on the website at BracketFanatics.com. Once March Madness ends, Bracket Fanatics then sends the payouts to all the winners for you. That's right. No chasing down. Doris from accounting for her last 10 bucks, so you can pay out the pool entry fees. Also, it's worth noting that, of course, if you decide that you want to collect and distribute the pool payout yourself, you can do it. But if there is an entry fee, Bracket Fanatics will collect it for you and make the payouts for you. Here's the best part, though. Even better than doing all the hard work work for you, you can make side bets with your friends and family all tournament long, all through BracketFanatics.com. Even if your bracket is busted the first weekend, who cares? You can still send and accept bets on any games in the tournament with every player in your bracket. Make back all your money and more with important bragging rights, side bets, at BracketFanatics and BracketFanatics.com. By the way, I've mentioned this. The Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge exclusively at BracketFanatics.com. There will be a link in the show description. First prize, a $500 Buffalo Wild Wings gift card. Credit to BracketFanatics and BracketFanatics.com. Link in the show description for the Aaron Torres Pod Bracket Fanatics Challenge. But also, BracketFanatics.com to set up your own challenge. You can make side bets there. Everybody pays in the same place. Payouts are done there. All at BracketFanatics and BracketFanatics.com. Want to thank Bracket Fanatics for being an incredible sponsor of the Aaron Torres podcast all March long. Again, if you're running your own pool, make sure to use BracketFanatics and BracketFanatics.com. Also sign up for the Aaron Torres podcast Bracket Challenge. Link is in the show description. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners. Bracket Fanatics, BracketFanatics.com, incredible website. If you are running a bracket challenge, make sure to go to BracketFanatics.com, sign up there. Also, the Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge, uh, $500 Buffalo Wild Wing gift card. That, uh, my, my bracket challenge, the link is in my show description. From there, also, it is in my Twitter bio as well. Make sure to sign up for the Aaron Torres Bracket Challenge. With that said, though, let's switch gears. And let's talk about the bracket because we have an actual bracket. 
Can't believe it took us this long to get to the bracket. Sorry, Tom Brady. P move aside. Go back to working out. We got to talk about a bracket. And let's let's get into this bracket. And what I would say is this. This Monday show is designed for a few things. One, I'm going to have some immediate reactions to just the bracket itself. Um, you know, just a really, uh, you know, there's two or three things that I do want to hit on. Seating, bubble, all the main talking points. And then from there, we will break down the bracket a little bit. This Monday show, I don't generally give out my final picks. Wisconsin's going to the Final Four. Michigan's going to the Sweet 16. Villanova's getting upset. That, that's not what today's show is about. Today's show is about just giving you guys and girls a baseline of who these teams are, how the bracket fell, basically me reacting in real time to this bracket. On Wednesday, I will give you my official picks. We'll roll from there. We'll win some money. Buffalo Wild Wings gift card. It'll be great. But with that said, before we even get into the bracket, let's just talk about two or three storylines that came out of the bracket selection show on Sunday. And the first one, we know what it is. It was the Tennessee screw job, baby. That's right. Tennessee, after they had beaten Kentucky on Saturday in the SEC semifinals, there was talk that Tennessee could be a potential number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Instead, they, they beat Kentucky on Saturday, beat A&M on Sunday, and they fall to the three line. And what I would say, Tennessee fans, a couple things. First of all, the second I saw Duke in the first region on the two line as a two seed, I knew... Tennessee's getting screwed here because the bottom line was I don't believe that Duke had much on its resume. They have two great wins over Kentucky and Gonzaga. But after that, their resume is very, very, very thin with a couple really, really, really bad losses. And so when I saw Duke on the two line, I said, oh, Tennessee's getting screwed because Kentucky and Auburn had come into the week very comfortably on the two line playing to get a one. Um, I knew they weren't falling. Villanova, I knew Villanova wasn't falling. And so to me, it felt very clear the second I saw Duke on that two line that Tennessee was getting screwed. Tennessee was going to be the team that got screwed. What I would say about the Tennessee situation, though, is I could yell and scream for 10 minutes about Tennessee. I'm not going to do that because to me, there is a bigger fundamental issue at play than just Tennessee. What happened on Sunday is not a Tennessee problem. What happened on Sunday is a committee problem and a problem that I have harped about on this show, this specific show, the Monday after the bracket comes out, four years. The committee's problem, the NCAA's problem, the issue is not Tennessee. It's not Texas A&M. It's not the SEC championship. It's not the Big Ten championship. The issue is playing conference championship games on Sundays. Four years we have seen that playing conference championship games on Sunday has no impact on your seating in a positive way, and it came about again. I've talked about it before. I know I have because every single year that Kentucky makes the SEC championship game, John Calipari does the same rant. He says the exact same thing that I'm saying now. There have been years where Kentucky, it feels like if they win the SEC championship game, they're on the two line, they're going to be a one. It feels like if they're a three seed, they might get a two, a four seed, a three, whatever. It never ends up happening, and every year Calipari makes the same complaint. Why are we playing on Sundays if it doesn't matter? And this year I thought was the most egregious example of it at all. Of all, one, Tennessee got screwed. Probably closer to a one seed than a three, definitively should have been a two. And now that screws up the whole bracket. People say, Torres, why do you care? It's a three versus a two. I love Joe Lenardi. I've had him on the show. He goes, I heard him say, well, the difference between a two and a three is a jersey color in a regional semifinal. I vehemently disagree with that. The reason it's a big deal is because when you miss seed Tennessee, when they're closer to a one and you put them as a three, you don't just screw over Tennessee. You screw over the number one seed in that bracket, Arizona, who now has a basically the equivalent of a one seed on the three line. 
you screw over Villanova on the two line who is playing a team better than they should around before they should. Heck, you screw over Michigan and Colorado State. And I know nobody cares about Colorado State basketball. But at the same time, Colorado State played all year to put themselves in position to get a six seed. And they're playing maybe one of the top five teams in the country in round two. It's not fair. It screws up the whole bracket. It messes up bracket integrity for everybody. And that's why I don't like it. And oh, by the way, it wasn't just Tennessee that got screwed on Sunday. Texas A&M got screwed. It is clear that them beating Arkansas on Saturday had no impact. Same with Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. And I think Tennessee and A&M fans are rightly saying not only playing on Sunday had no impact, but on top of that, it did nothing to help our resume. It did nothing to help our seeding. Winning on Saturday didn't. And that, to me, is the fundamental issue. We are now in a situation where what happens on Saturday doesn't matter. Tennessee, no credit for beating Kentucky and then A&M on Sunday. A&M, no credit for beating Arkansas and then playing in the SEC championship game. Duke, no punishment for losing in the ACC championship game. And so to me, something fundamentally has to change about this process. Either we have to eliminate Sunday conference championship games or we have to push back the bracket so that the committee has more time to get it right. The question becomes, will it happen? I don't know, but I'll tell you, there's there's one person that can fundamentally alter this entire process, make this change, make it better for all of us, and you know who that person is? It's Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC. The commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, I believe has a moral obligation to protect his teams and to do what's right. And basically, if I was Greg Sankey, I would look at what happened to Tennessee, what happened to Texas A&M, and say this. Look, NCAA Selection Committee, CBS, ESPN, all of these partners, here's the deal. You want to keep screwing my conference champion. You want to keep screwing my runner-up. You want to keep making it so my semifinals on Saturday have no meaning? Well, guess what? I'm pulling my tournament, which you need on Sunday because everybody else finishes on Saturday. I'm pulling my tournament from Sunday. We'll play our tournament Monday through Wednesday for all that matters if it's going to help our team so you have time to properly evaluate. I don't think that's actually going to happen, but I think Greg Sankey is the guy in college sports that has the power to make a change. He has the power to say, this system is broken. Playing conference championship games on Sunday and having no benefit to it is broken. So we either got to do a better job with selecting teams, we got to move these conference championship games all off Sunday, or ESPN, if you're going to make us play, we got to push the bracket back so that the committee has time to get it right. I believe Greg Sankey has an obligation to Tennessee, Texas A&M, pretty much everybody to speak out and say this is crap. And if this doesn't get fixed, if we don't get a better solution to this, I'm pulling my conference championship game off of Sunday. We'll play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday if that's what it comes down to. We'll play the previous week, but we are not going to go through this every single year where our conference champion doesn't benefit. Shame on the committee. I thought they totally screwed up, up Tennessee. On top of that, we're going to get to Texas A&M in a second. Did not like how Texas A&M fell. Iowa on and on and on and on and on. Second quick reaction to the, the bracket actually being revealed. Uh, the bubble. Listen, what I would say about the bubble, uh, interestingly enough, the only thing that I, the only team that I really thought was egregiously screwed on the bubble, I actually thought the bubble was kind of okay. Uh, the only team I thought was egregiously screwed was Texas A&M. Texas A&M, I believed, had to beat Florida in the opening round of the SEC tournament, and if they beat Auburn on Friday, they were in. Well, they beat Auburn, and then they beat Arkansas on top of that, and at that point, it felt like it was only an issue of where they were going to be seated, not if they were going to get into the bracket. And again, it goes back to what I just said a minute ago. It is clear that beating Arkansas did nothing for Texas A&M's resume, and shame on the committee. 
in terms of the rest of the bracket, what I would say, for the most part, I, I, I kind of didn't really have some issues. I didn't like Indiana being in a play-in game, but Michigan was in the main field. Uh, I didn't. I, I kind of thought Rutgers' resume was a little thin, but really, if we're talking about the bubble, we're talking about Team 68, 69, 70, no fundamental issues. Personally, I believe, actually, if you actually look at the resumes, I saw a lot of complaints about Michigan. Listen, Michigan was 17-14, and 14, lost in the opening round of the, of the Big Ten tournament. If they had been left out, I have no issues. What I would say, though, is the team that if you actually look into the resumes that really kind of warrants some pretty deep scrutiny is Notre Dame. I'm not going to bore you with too many bracket details, but Notre Dame, four quad one and quad two wins all season long okay Texas A&M has four quad one wins since the beginning of March they beat ten, uh, they beat Alabama at Alabama late in the season they beat Auburn in the SEC tournament they beat Arkansas in the SEC tournament you could argue that Texas A&M has more quality wins since the start of March than Notre Dame had all season uh, on top of the fact that Texas A&M played well in the SEC tournament, I know that the last 10 or so games are not supposed to matter, but if I had to do the bracket, I would probably have uh, Texas A&M in, Notre Dame out. That would be my only issue. Again, I, I think you can argue other teams. I actually thought there was a stronger argument for Xavier. They weren't even in the first four out of the NCAA tournament, so what that showed me was that the committee really did value, for the most part, how you're playing late in the year. Indiana in... Rutgers, who was playing well late in the year in, Xavier out, Notre Dame falls, but all I would say about the bubble, no major discrepancies. Texas A&M was the one team that I thought had a real legitimate gripe based on how they played down the stretch, based on the fact that they picked up two better wins at the SEC tournament than some of these teams had all year. That's my fundamental issue. Finally, as we get set to look at this freaking bracket, what I would say is my only other real thought is this, is that I know that every single year, <clears throat> excuse me, every single year I rant and rave about Jay Billis, Dick Vitale, whomever. They say it's so wide open, anybody can win it. And what I would say is every single year I push back, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, it doesn't, uh, you know, every single year we say how open it is and it's always a one seed that ends up winning it, ends up winning the national championship, whatever. Always give out the stat. Last 14 years, 11 national champions have been one seeds. One year it was the top two seed in Villanova. And then the two other years, Kemba Walker leads UConn to a title in 2011. Shabazz Napier leads UConn to a title in 2014. Basically, history says if you don't have a one seed or you don't have the best player in the conference in the NCAA tournament, you're not winning the national championship, okay? I bring all that up to say that when that bracket actually came out on Saturday, on Sunday, I kind of had to reevaluate that thought process. Because if you look at this bracket, what I would say is this. I don't ever remember there being a smaller discrepancy between, say, like the number one overall seed and the last number three seed, the first number four seed, the second number four seed, whatever. I mean, you look at these number one seeds. Baylor's banged up right now. Kansas really has never been great at any point in the stretch of the season. Meanwhile, you have Tennessee that we were talking about as a one seed on the three line. You have Kentucky that, that's dominated Kansas, that dominated Tennessee on the two line. You have UCLA, by the way, who went to the final four last year and returned everybody as a four seed. And so my, my, my last thought kind of on this entire bracket as a whole is that I, I do think that this is the year. Every year I say that there, there's a huge, that, 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 you know, everybody says it's so wide open, it's always a one seed that wins it. I really think this is a year we could possibly see the scenario where there's zero number one seeds uh, and a couple twos, couple threes, a couple fours, whatever, in New Orleans. 
And with that said, let's get into this actual bracket. And what I would say is, as we get into the bracket, a couple things. One, I know I've said it a few times, but it's worth reiterating. Today's show is not about me making my definitive bracket decisions. It's not about Tennessee's going to the Final Four and Villanova, book your tickets to New Orleans. Baylor might lose in round one. That, I mean, that could happen, but today's show is not about that. What today's show is about is kind of just, in my opinion, the first reaction to the bracket. What do I see? What jumps out? What matchups could give this team problems if the thing goes this way and all that good stuff? So when I look at today's show, I don't look at it as me making my definitive bracket statement. I will do that on Wednesday. I will make my official picks on Wednesday's show. But today is just kind of a first reaction. Uh, what I would say is as we get into it, we'll go game by game. If you do have the opportunity to pull up a bracket in front of you, I think it would probably help. Not a be-all, end-all. You can listen. You can soak it in, take in the notes if you're obviously at the gym or in the car or whatever. But let's get into this bracket. We'll start, for the sake of this conversation, the bracket that I'm looking at has Gonzaga in the top left corner. We'll go through the first round, then we'll keep going. We'll start with Gonzaga. Some of these reactions will be really quick for really obvious reasons. You don't need 10 minutes on Gonzaga, Georgia. Georgia State. So let's start in the top left with the West region. Gonzaga, the number one seed. Georgia State, the sweet six, the sixteenth seed. Ah, uh, yeah. Gonzaga's winning this game pretty convincingly. UMBC ain't walking through that door. There will be no one twelve upset. Gonzaga will advance to round two. Very interesting matchup in the eight nine game here, though. Boise State, really good team. Mountain West regular season champ. Mountain West tournament champ. They get Memphis in the in the first round in what might be one of the more compelling games of the first round. We know about Memphis. We know about Penny Hardaway. Recruits at an elite level. Has a lottery pick in Jalen Duran. Um, but Boise is not going to be a pushover in this game in any stretch. First of all, Penny Hardaway, first ever NCAA tournament. I believe it is the first NCAA tournament for anybody on his roster. Boise State, on the other hand, Leon Rice has been here two, three, four times before. And Boise State, kind of in their own right, has some players that, that could give Memphis fits. This is not your traditional mid-major, uh, plucky, hickory high school underdog. They have a bunch of high major transfers, Emmanuel Acott from Arizona, uh, Abu Kijab from Oregon. They also have a guard named Marcus Shaver, who's like a, a two, three-time All-Mountain West guard. Uh, Tyson Dagenhart was a kid that almost committed to Gonzaga or was at least being recruited to Gonzaga. So they got real players at Boise. I would say my one concern in this game would be the matchup, the physicality down low. I probably lean Memphis in this game to eventually pull away. Staying in that West region, next up, my UConn Huskies. They face New Mexico State, and maybe it's a little bit of bias, but this is one where I understand every time there's a 5-12 matchup, you got to be a little bit worried about uh, you know, the possibility of an upset. I don't think this is the one. UConn is so physical, so tough, so big, so overwhelming. I just don't think New Mexico State has the size or physicality to stay in this game. Teddy Allen's a great player. Uh, he's their star. He's a transfer from the high major level, played at a bunch of different places. But you start to look at this game, I just think it's a bad, bad, bad spot for them. UConn is a big, tough, physical team. I think UConn comfortably advances there. Same with the 4-13 matchup. I, I saw the Arkansas fan base being a little bit concerned. Vermont is playing very, very, very well right now. They won all three of their conference tournament games by 30-plus points. And so I've seen the concern that Vermont is going to potentially pull the upset against, uh, against the Arkansas Razorbacks. I'll be real, I just don't see that one either because of the way that Arkansas plays. Arkansas can handle the fit. Arkansas, what Arkansas does so well 
They just do what they do, okay? They attack. They're relentless. They get to the free throw line. They defend their butts off. I don't think Arkansas has much problem with, with Vermont in round one. Going to the bottom half of this bracket. Very interesting matchup in the first round. First of all, we do have a play-in game right here. Rutgers takes on Notre Dame. I already made my case for Notre Dame. I don't think they're very good. I do think Rutgers probably advances. What will be interesting here, those two teams, Rutgers and Notre Dame, play Wednesday. They then have to fly across country to play Alabama in a Friday game. Alabama... I don't think they're very good. I've made my case on Alabama for weeks. I, they're just trending in the wrong direction, but they do get a little bit of an advantage. Rutgers and Notre Dame are probably going to end sometime at probably around 11 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, have to fly out Wednesday night, land Thursday, play Friday. I do think it's probably advantage Alabama, but what I would also say is I do think Rutgers specifically, if they get Alabama, could give Alabama trouble. Texas Tech versus Montana State in that one. Texas Tech's going to roll. Texas Tech, another one kind of like Arkansas. They just do what they do. They get up in you defensively. It's going to be low scoring. But Texas Tech, I'll say this, they are starting to get healthy at the right time of the year. I don't really foresee much issue here. Need to look into Montana State a little bit more, but I think they advance. Michigan State, Davidson, kind of an interesting deal here. Michigan State, they have a lot of high major talent. Tom Izzo, never doubt Tom Izzo. But what I would also say about Michigan State, um, they're, they're really kind of a disjointed group. They don't have definitive roles. They don't have definitive stars. Their big guys kind of shoot threes. Their point guards don't really distract. Like, they're just a very bizarre team. But they are big. They are physical. Julius Marble down low. Gabe Brown is a big guy that kind of plays on the wing. I think their size will give Davidson trouble. Davidson shoots the crap out of the ball. They're, they're a very fundamental team like Davidson always is. I just don't know that they have enough size for Michigan State. Lean Michigan State in this one. Duke, Cal State, Fullerton. Uh, we can criticize Duke being a two seed. They are not losing this one. Let's advance. Let's go down in the bracket right now. I'm in the east, so I'm going from west to east where Baylor is the one seed against Norfolk State. Um... Just don't see it. Just don't see the scenario that Baylor loses this game. I know I joked hypothetically a minute ago that they lose. I do not see it. 8-9 game. North Carolina Marquette. I'll be real. Kind of one of the more interesting games. I'm a little bit of a seller on North Carolina. I don't think they figured things out as much as the ACC is just really bad. But here's the catch. Marquette is not playing very well right now. Marquette plays kind of the, the old school but also new school Shaka Smart system. Uh, really fast. Try to turn you over. I could see it going one of two ways. I could see it giving North Carolina absolute fits and North Carolina struggling. I could also see North Carolina struggling, breaking that press and destroying them. Marquette not playing great down the stretch here. I'm looking right now, five and uh, and four, five and three in their last eight games overall. I do think they're struggling, but listen. This is a team that beat Villanova twice. This is a team that finished uh, in the in 19 and 12 overall. And so I could see Marquette pulling the upset. I probably do lean uh, North Carolina right now. Marquette seems to have kind of faded down the stretch. Interesting in the 5-12 game. And this is one where this is why I don't like to overreact to the bracket on day one because I think St. Mary's could have legitimate trouble with the winner of Indiana versus Wyoming. Indiana versus Wyoming, a very interesting contrast to styles. Wyoming, very dynamic offensively. They do things really well. Indiana, Mike F. and Woodson, they're all about the defense. I do think Indiana's physicality eventually wins out. I do think Indiana wins, and I'll tell you this. I do think Indiana, because of the way they play, could give St. Mary's trouble. St. Mary's is a team that plays super slow. They're super physical. They want to win games in the 50s. Well, you know who wants to win games in the 50s? 
Indiana and Mike Effin Woodson. Who's going to out 52 to 51 the other one? So keep an eye on this one. I actually think that if Indiana gets in, they could pull the upset. The question is, can they get by Wyoming in round one? UCLA versus Akron. Listen, I think UCLA is kind of the lost team in college basketball. They went on COVID pause. Uh, they've had injuries. They really haven't been at 100% all year. Well, guess what? They just went to the Pac-12 tournament final, took care of USC in the semifinals, easily could have beaten a really good Arizona team in the finals. I think UCLA is quietly a team that nobody's talking about. They have won eight of their last 10 overall, one of those losses to Arizona in the conference tournament championship game. I do lean UCLA to not only win this game, but I think they could do some damage. Going down to the bottom half of the bracket, Texas plays Virginia Tech. Listen, Texas has had problems all year. They're physical, they don't score, they play defense, they rely too much. Virginia Tech red hot coming out of that ACC tournament. I could easily see the scenario where Virginia Tech ends up winning this game, pulling off the upset. Purdue versus Yale. Yale, good story. They misspelled the conference championship tease over there in the Ivy League, but I don't see Yale beating Purdue. I see Purdue advancing easy. Murray State, San Francisco, 7-10 game. So I'll be honest, I saw some kind of complaints that Missouri's or Murray is playing San Francisco, two great mid-major teams. I don't really get the conversation. I don't really get the argument. If you're Murray, you're just happy to be on the seven line. It doesn't really matter who you're playing. You're happy to be out of that eight, nine game where you could have to play Arizona, Gonzaga, whomever in round two. And San Francisco, you're just happy to be in the NCAA tournament. What are you complaining about? You're a 10 seed, which means you're probably essentially one of the last probably about 10 or so teams into this field. I don't think there's any complaints. What I would say is I do think Murray is a really good team. I think they're going to give Kentucky a little bit of fits in round two. Uh, I think Murray comfortably advances here. Really good guards on both teams. Tevin Brown for, um, for, uh, for Murray State. Amare Bouye. Know that name, baby. Amare Bouye. For San Francisco, I do think Murray State probably advances there. Bottom of the bracket, Kentucky wins convincingly. We'll get back to Kentucky-Murray State in a minute. Let's stick with all the round one matchups. We'll go out west. Arizona wins the plays the winner of Wright State and Bryant. No big thoughts on Wright State and Bryant. I think Arizona advances easily. The big story with Arizona is obviously keep an eye on Kirk Creesa. Their starting point guard, is he going to come back? How does he play? How much does he play? Uh, the good news is I don't think they'll need him much on Thursday. The other good news is, and it's worth noting, is that they played really well in the conference tournament without him. Dalen Terry, one of my favorite players in college basketball, stepped up, almost assumed that point guard role, but Arizona rolls in round one. 8-9 game, Seton Hall versus TCU. This is kind of what I was talking about a minute ago with Indiana versus St. Mary's. Uh, both teams are super physical. Both teams uh, you know, are, are not super dynamic offensively. I'll give the advantage to TCU. I don't think Seton Hall does anything special at all. I do think they're tough. I do think they're physical. TCU has one really good guard named Mike Miles. I think he's probably the difference in this game. 5-12 matchup, I'll tell you. Houston, you really look at their resume. There isn't much there. I love Kelvin Sampson. I love what he has done uh, with this program, but they lost their top two players early in the season. Marcus Sasser, Tremont Mark to injuries. And you really go through the list, they really don't have that many impressive wins on their resume throughout this season. First quad one win of the season was against Memphis on the final day of the year in the AAC tournament. And they're playing a UAB team, which is really interesting. 
UAB coached by Andy Kennedy. Remember that name? Actually, friend of the Aratoras podcast. He came on here a little while ago. Uh, their best player is a kid named Jordan Walker. Uh, he is a transfer from Tulane. Really, really talented player out of New York. They have a bunch of high major transfers, a couple kids from Auburn, a couple kids from Alabama. Uh, K.J. Buffin played at Ole Miss. And so I bring it up because UAB is going to give Houston fits for now. I do have Houston advancing, uh, you know, uh, I could see the scenario by Wednesday where I, I do pick UAB to pull the upset. Uh, Illinois versus Chattanooga. Chattanooga, that unbelievable win in the conference tournament. I just think it's too much physicality down low with Kofi Coburn. Uh, Chattanooga has really good guard play. Uh, uh, Chattanooga, by the way, not small in their own right. If you remember the name Silvio D'Souza, who played four years at Kansas, is now at Chattanooga, but I do think Illinois advances. Going down to the bottom half of the bracket, Colorado State versus Michigan. Let me say this. Allow me a quick side rant as it pertains to Michigan versus Colorado State. One thing that I do not do is every year there's always, who's the team that could make a run that nobody's talking about? Who deserves this? Who deserves that? And I always hate saying, this team's going to make a run to a Final Four. This team's going to make a run to the Sweet 16. Because I always say, until I see a bracket... I, I can't say who's going to do what until I see a bracket. I think that applies in this region because I could have had Tennessee, Arizona, Villanova all as potential Final Four teams. They're all playing each other. Only one's getting to the Final Four of that. But I bring it up because Michigan is playing Colorado State. And if you had told me a week ago, I don't think Michigan even deserved to be in the field of 68, to be perfectly honest. But now that they're in, it's kind of a nice matchup for them that they get Colorado State. Colorado State's really talented, but they're really small. Hunter Dickinson, Musa Diabate very much could overwhelm them down low. Colorado State, a great story. I'll probably pick Michigan to advance. Tennessee, the Tennessee screw job. They get Longwood in round one. I think Tennessee advances pretty easily. Ohio State versus Loyola Chicago, really interesting matchup. Loyola Chicago, obviously a great program. Porter Mosier leaves as their head coach. Drew Valentine is in. Ohio State is really struggling. It is worth noting, though, that Chris Holtman really, uh, he's been to about six or seven NCAA tournaments at this point. He's won at least one game in all of them except for last year during COVID. When Chris Holtman gets in, he usually wins a game. I'll probably lean Ohio State here. Bottom of this bracket, Villanova plays Delaware in round one. Love Delaware. Love the Blue Hens. Beautiful state, second smallest state in the union. They ain't pulling off the upset against Villanova. And finally, let's wrap with the Midwest region, and then we'll go back to the second round matchups. Uh, Midwest region, Kansas is the top seed. They play Texas Southern or Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Kansas is winning that game. Really interesting matchup in the second game in this bracket, San Diego State versus Creighton. Two unique definitive styles. San Diego State wants to clamp down. They want to play great defense. They want to be win every game 51-50, to 50, kind of what I was saying a few minutes ago with Indiana and St. Mary's. Crayon's the exact opposite. They're young. They're fearless. They're big down low with Ryan Kalkbrenner. They want to get up and down the court, and I think this is just a matchup, a, a battle, a very interesting battle, probably going to be one of the better first-round games. I will lean San Diego State in this one. 5-12 matchup, Iowa and Richmond. Richmond, a veteran team. Most of the team that went into Rupp Arena last year and beat Kentucky during COVID is back. Don't see the scenario where they beat Iowa. Iowa has so much scoring across the board. Need to do a little bit more research, but I do probably like Iowa to advance here. Providence and South Dakota State. I'll tell you this, very interesting matchup here between South Dakota State and Providence in the, five, uh, the 4-13 game, and let me tell you why. It is because we know how Providence is. We know how they play. They want to play fat or they want to play slow. They want to bang. They want to go down low. 
You know who was number two in the country in scoring behind Gonzaga, but ahead of Arizona and ahead of Iowa? It was the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. South Dakota State gets up and down. This is one where I could potentially see the upset. I don't know if it happens. Providence, if they get dragged into a game in the 70s, I don't know if they could win. I could see the scenario where South Dakota State pulls the upset. Going to the bottom half of the bracket, really interesting scenario. LSU playing without a head coach right now. Will Wade was fired. We'll talk about it to end the show, uh, but I still lean uh, LSU over Iowa State. Bottom line is LSU is so much bigger, so much more athletic, so much more physical. Iowa State really well coached. They were not great the second half of the year. They got off to a great start early in the season. They beat Xavier. They beat Memphis. They had a couple great wins. They beat Creighton early in the season, but really struggled once they got to Big 12 play. I don't see LSU beating them there. Wisconsin versus Colgate. I'll tell you this. Colgate, they may be able to beat Gingivitis. They can't beat Wisconsin. Bad joke, bad joke. Yes, Colgate, also a toothpaste company. I like Wisconsin in that game. USC versus Miami. Really interesting game here. I don't think either team is great. Miami just barely getting in. USC really struggles to score the ball. I probably lean Miami. Veteran team. uh, You know, Charlie Moore, their point guard, has been in college forever. Probably lean Miami here as I look at this bracket. And then at the bottom, it's Auburn. Auburn's going to win this game against Jacksonville State. And again, it goes back to what I said a minute ago. I don't like going into a bracket saying, this is my team that's going to make a deep run. This is my, because Auburn is a perfect example. I didn't love them over the last two, three, four weeks of the season if you listen to this show. But I do think they have a very advantageous draw uh, to get to a pretty far deep tournament run. Let's go back to the top of the bracket. I'm just ripping through this really quick. Again, I will give my official picks on the next episode of the podcast. But Gonzaga, second round, they play Memphis. I'm telling you, if they get Memphis, Memphis is going to give them fits. Memphis is big. Memphis is physical. Memphis is tough. And I believe that their guard, that their big guys can get into Chet Holmgren. I do think Gonzaga really wins, but this is a brutal 8-9 matchup for Gonzaga. If they were to get Boise, I think it's a little bit of an easier matchup, but even Boise is really good defensively. I do think Gonzaga advances. I don't think it's going to be easy, though. I think Penny and the boys could give them fits. I'll take Gonzaga in the second round. I am back in the, the West region, top of the bracket. Second round matchup. Some are calling it the Torres Bowl. Not me. Okay, it is me. UConn versus Arkansas. And I'll say this. I love my UConn Huskies. My fundamental issue with UConn, they go through these big, long, extensive scoring droughts. They get out to big leads. They're tough. They're physical. They grind you down. And then all of a sudden, you look up and UConn goes seven, eight, nine minutes without scoring. Well, Arkansas, all game long, puts pressure on you, getting to the rim. J.D. Note, I, 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 I respect the hell out of both these coaches, Eric Musselman, Dan Hurley. I do worry about UConn being able to go score for score with Arkansas. Arkansas is a great defensive team like UConn. UConn has a size advantage down low. UConn has the physicality advantage down low. But at the same time, I think it's a bad matchup for them. They go the long stretches without scoring. Arkansas does not. I will take Arkansas to beat UConn to go to the Sweet 16 for a second year in a row. Bottom of the bracket, Texas Tech versus Rutgers or uh, potentially Alabama. Either one. I do like Texas Tech. I'm very curious to see if Rutgers wins the playing game. I'll probably lean them over Alabama. If Notre Dame wins the playing game, I probably lean Alabama. But listen, Texas Tech is playing elite defense right now. I don't buy that Alabama is going to be able to score on them the way that they need to to win this game. I will take Texas Tech to advance to the Sweet 16. Duke versus Michigan State. 
I know we make fun of Coach K. Let me just say this. This is not the matchup for Duke to fall. Uh, Michigan State struggles to score. Michigan State. What I'll say about Michigan State, I just said it when, they, when I talked about the Davidson matchup. I don't think Michigan State does anything at an elite level. I really don't. They're good at, you know, they're good on defense. They're good at point guard. They're good down low, but they're not great at anything. Like, Gonzaga is a great offensive team. Iowa is a great offensive team. Indiana, you could credit, you could discredit what they did all year. They're a great defensive team. Um, Memphis is physical. UConn is physical. I don't know what Michigan State does at an elite level. Because of it, I do have Duke advancing to the Sweet 16 out of that region. So my Sweet 16 in that one is the top four. Gonzaga, Arkansas, Texas Tech, Duke. Again, these picks are subject to change next week. Baylor versus North Carolina. I'll say this. I think Baylor is going to, to probably advance out of this one. I do think North Carolina, with their size down low, Armando Baycott could give them fits. Same time, North Carolina, like I said, I think they peaked. I do like Baylor to advance. Uh, And I do like UCLA to advance in their next game. I do think there's the possibility that Wyoming or Indiana pulls off the upset against St. Mary's. Either team, or excuse me, Wyoming or Indiana, it pulls off the upset against St. Mary's. I don't think either one of those teams is pulling off an upset against UCLA. They advance in this game. Bottom of the bracket, I do have Virginia Tech potentially pulling off an upset against Texas. I don't know that they can beat Purdue because Virginia Tech, ball spacing, three-point shooting, all that good stuff, the last thing you want to do is drag Purdue into a def- into an offensive shootout. Purdue is going to win that game every single time. You want to beat Purdue in the 60s. Very rarely can you outscore Purdue. I know Iowa just did it in the Big Ten Championship game, but I would like Purdue to advance here. Murray State and Kentucky at the bottom of this bracket, I'll say this. Murray State, great story. I said it a minute ago. I think Murray, for a half, can give Kentucky fits. K.J. Williams is a really good big guy. He ain't Oscar Shibwe, though. Eventually, Kentucky wears down Murray State. They themselves advance to the Sweet 16. Top of the bracket, more chalk. Arizona, they're not losing to TCU. I just don't see that scenario. I could see the scenario where Arizona struggles later in this bracket. I could see the scenario where uh, Arizona struggles if Kirk Creesa isn't back. I don't see the scenario where it's against TCU. Houston versus Illinois. I love Illinois. I love Houston, excuse me. I may pick UAB to beat them on Wednesday. They ain't getting past Illinois. Illinois can out physical Houston. Illinois can out tough Houston. And Illinois can outscore Houston. I mean, Houston is a great program, but their top two guards are out for the year. If Kentucky didn't have Severe Wheeler and Kellen Grady, they're not doing anything in this tournament. If Arkansas didn't have JD Note and, uh, you know, Devo Davis, they're not doing anything in this tournament. And Houston is down its top two guards. I think Illinois advances out of this game. Tennessee versus Michigan is the game that I have at the bottom of this bracket. Tennessee's going to advance. Michigan is very limited. Uh, If you can match their size, you can beat them. They don't have great guard play. They don't shoot the ball extremely well. Tennessee advances from the bottom of the bracket. And it's kind of the same. uh, Big East versus Big Ten here. Villanova versus Ohio State. I think Villanova comfortably advances. They may play Loyola Chicago. I think Villanova advances either way. Bottom of the bracket. Now in the Midwest region, this is where I think it gets really interesting. I can see the scenario that San Diego State pulls the upset over Kansas. First of all, Kansas, Bill Self, when Bill Self loses in the NCAA tournament, it is traditionally the second game of the weekend. In other words, he has a full week to prepare for you. He's going full Kansas. They're looking like the Harlem Globetrotters. When he loses, it's usually in the second round or the Elite Eight. No discredit for getting to the Elite Eight. But San Diego State on short notice... San Diego State, I'll give them credit. They're kind of, they remind me of maybe an Arkansas or whatever. They're going to do what they do. They're going to make you play their game. 
and they are just going to beat the crap out of you physically. Size-wise, they match up pretty well with Kansas. This is going to be one of my upsets. I, I could change my pick by Wednesday. I like San Diego State to pick off my preseason national champion, Kansas. Caw-caw, caw-caw, in round in round two. Bottom of the bracket, or next next game, I guess you would say, Iowa. I do like Iowa to advance. Providence, I, I could see the scenario where Providence loses to South Dakota State. In this scenario, I do have Providence winning. Iowa is going to advance. Providence just can't keep up with Iowa. That's the bottom line. Bottom half of the bracket, LSU and Wisconsin in the second round. Listen, LSU is a good story. They haven't been very good over the back half of this season. Um, but when I say good story, I mean interesting story because they don't have a head coach right now. They've been, they haven't been good the back half of the season, even when they've got healthy. I know that athletically they could give Wisconsin fits. Without a head coach, I just don't see it. I think LSU is out. I think Wisconsin advances to the Sweet 16. And I think Auburn advances to the Sweet 16. I think either one of those teams is a very good draw for Auburn. I was not high on Auburn coming into this tournament, but I think it actually works out really well. Let's go back to the top of the bracket. West Region quarterfinals. Sweet 16. Gonzaga versus Arkansas. Woo pig! I don't know. This is a tough draw for Arkansas. Obviously, the one thing Arkansas does not have is a lot of size down low, a lot of physicality down low. Jalen Williams, I guess, is the, the the really the only big guy that they play. I know that everybody kind of gang rebounds on that team. Audis, Tony, um, you know, Stanley Amude, whatever. I don't think they can outscore Gonzaga, and I think down low Gonzaga could expose them, specifically Drew Timmy. Hate to say it, Hogs fans, I do think Gonzaga advances here. And I do think this is where Duke could potentially get, get upset. Duke is playing Texas Tech. Texas Tech, I just said it a minute ago with um, I just said it a minute ago with, with uh, you know San Diego State. Texas Tech makes you play their game. Texas Tech makes you uncomfortable defensively, and Texas Tech beats the crap out of you. Duke this year, they have lulls defensively. Offensively, they just rely on out-athleting you, out-talenting you. You cannot do it against Texas Tech. I will probably have Texas Tech beating Duke to advance to the Elite Eight. Going down to the East region, I have a Sweet 16, Baylor versus UCLA. I'll be honest. I think UCLA is the better team. I know Baylor's the one seed. I know their overall resume is better. UCLA, Big Mick Energy, Mick Cronin, baby. You mean to tell me that a team coming off a of Final Four that has everybody healthy, everybody playing well, Going up against a Baylor team that's beat up, that has a bunch of freshmen playing big minutes. I like UCLA to advance out of that one to the to the Elite Eight. And I like Kentucky to beat Purdue. John Calipari complains every year how hard his bracket is. I think John I'll say this for John Calipari. I think he's a genius for this reason. Every single year he says, well, we're going to get the toughest bracket because we're Kentucky. And the last couple of times Kentucky's made the tournament, it's actually been the exact opposite. They've actually gotten the easier bracket, uh, and I don't know if it's because Calipari says it or not, but the bottom line is I do like Kentucky to advance uh, past Purdue. Purdue, great story, big down low, but they're big, but they're not super athletic. I think that basically Keon Brooks and Oscar Shibway can play Zach Eady off the floor. Jaden Ivey will be the best guard on the floor, but I think the thing about Kentucky, I've said it, they have no weaknesses, and because of it, um, I think they can play fast with Purdue. I think they can score with Purdue. I think Kentucky goes to the Elite Eight. Going back up to the top of the bracket, Arizona versus Illinois. These two teams actually played earlier in the season. Arizona won at Illinois. I don't think Illinois' guard play is good enough. Illinois has good guards, but they're not consistent. There's not a point guard. There's not set roles. I do think Arizona advances pretty comfortably here. Tell you this, Tennessee Villanova in the Sweet 16 probably... 
the most interesting matchup that we are going to get in the Sweet 16. I think Gonzaga-Arkansas is up there. Tennessee-Villanova, in different brackets, I would pick both of them to go to the Final Four. I know some people are a little bit down on Villanova. They don't have any great NBA-type talent, but I'll tell you this. Uh, I think they can give Tennessee fits. T- uh, Villanova has older kind of physical guards. Tennessee, those young guards, Sakai Ziegler and Kennedy Chandler. Right now, right now I'm taking Tennessee to advance, but I don't feel great about it. I will take Tennessee. I could see the scenario by Wednesday's show that I have Villanova in this bracket. Going down finally to the Midwest region. I told you I have San Diego State upsetting Iowa. I have San Diego State upsetting Iowa, and I'll tell you this. I think in some ways, Iowa, they just got to get through that 5-12 matchup because I like the matchups from there. I don't think Providence can go score for score with them. Even if Iowa were to play Kansas, I think they could outscore Kansas. I think they're a better team than Kansas right now. So give me Iowa to the Elite Eight. The bottom of the bracket, I do have Wisconsin versus Auburn. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm probably leaning Auburn. I just don't think Wisconsin has enough down low to stop Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. So I don't love this pick right now because I've been out on Auburn all year. I just like this draw, and it's again, when you ask me next February, Torres, who's the team that can make the run? Don't ask me until I get a bracket because I'm telling you, I hated Auburn like two days ago, and now I think I have them in the Elite Eight beating Wisconsin. Finally, let's get to these Elite Eight games. I do have Gonzaga, Texas Tech in one game. I'll say this. Uh, Gonzaga and Texas Tech played in the 2019 Elite Eight. Texas Tech won. What I would also say is they played earlier this year and Gonzaga had too much. I think Texas Tech is better. I don't think they have enough to beat Gonzaga. I got Gonzaga going to the Final Four. Finally, UCLA, bottom of the region, Kentucky. Right now, I do lean Kentucky because of what I said. They can play fast. They can play slow. They can score in the 80s. They can score in the 90s. They can score in the 50s. Physicality with Oscar Shibwe. And that's kind of where I do worry about UCLA. UCLA is really good. They're not super big down low. Um, I don't know that Kentucky's necessarily the team that can expose them, but I do think Kentucky probably, you look across the board, just a little bit more talent on all of the front lines. Right now, I lean Kentucky, but I'm telling you, I think it's going to be a great matchup. I could see the scenario where UCLA as a four seed wins. Right now, I'll lean Kentucky. Top of the bracket, I got Arizona-Tennessee. I don't know what to make of this game. Another matchup where these two teams played earlier in the year, Tennessee did beat Arizona. That's a big part of why they maybe should have been a number one seed. All I'll say really quick on this one is, you know, Arizona won. I think we got to find out if they are fully healthy. What's the deal with Kirk Creesa? But I don't take too much out of that first game. Tennessee's a different team. Arizona's a really good team. Probably take Arizona to win here. And then finally, bottom of the bracket, Iowa versus Auburn. I can't believe I have this as an Elite Eight game. Lean Iowa here. I do think Iowa, the way that they score from all five positions, would give Auburn fits. So as of right now, as I'm recording, here is my final four. It is Arizona versus Iowa, and it is Gonzaga versus Kentucky. Said all year, I believe Kentucky and Arizona are the two best teams. Let me just say this. As the bracket falls, I have Kentucky-Gonzaga. I would probably take Kentucky in that game. I think the shooting, the scoring, the guard play, I think Kentucky has better guards than Gonzaga. Give me Kentucky to advance to the championship game. Give me Arizona. I guess I'll take Arizona. I don't feel great about it. I don't feel great about it, which is why, by the way, we're going to come back and do this again Wednesday. What I would also say 
is if you have questions about the bracket, specifically, we can do a mailbag on Wednesday if you want. Hit me up at Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Hit me up at Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That was the bracket reveal. That went really, really, really long. With that said, uh, let's take a quick break. Yes, I, 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 I just blew through my national championship pick because I hate it, and I'm not, that's not official. I'm coming back and doing this on Wednesday. But my, uh, my unofficial bracket pick is Arizona over Kentucky, Wildcats versus Wildcats in the national championship game. History repeating itself. History repeating itself as Arizona beats Kentucky in the title game. So what I want to do is take a quick break, come back. We will talk a little Will Wade. We'll talk a little Mike White. We'll make it quick. This show's going long. It's time to start wrapping up. All right, we're going to get back to the college basketball talk in a minute, wrap with a little Mike White and Will Wade. But it's March. We have a bracket and DraftKings Sportsbook, our great, great, great partner, has an incredible offer for first-time users of their website. The offer? Make a $5 money line bet on any team. Gonzaga, UCLA, Kentucky, doesn't matter. First-time user, make a $5 bet on any team. If they win, all they have to do is win. Gonzaga beats Georgia State. You win $200 in free cash, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook and DraftKings.com, and the Aaron Torres pod. Great deal. This is what you got to do to sign up. Click on the link in the show description and sign up for a new DraftKings Sportsbook account and make your first deposit. Bet $5 on any team in March Madness. Again, Gonzaga versus Georgia State. Uh, Kansas versus whoever the heck they end up playing. Baylor, whoever. Kentucky against uh, St. Peter's. Doesn't matter. Bet $5. If that team wins you get an automatic $200 courtesy of our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best offer going, so act now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789, 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, DraftKings, DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, great deal, by the way. $5 money line bet on any team. If that team wins, you automatically get $200 in free bets courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Great deal. Sign up now. Link is in the bio. What a show. What a show. Bracket Fanatics, DraftKings.com. A lot of great sponsors for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Let's switch gears and let's get out of here, okay? And so what I would say is usually this show, the show where the bracket is released, it is its own standalone show, okay? We just talk bracket, we break it down, all that good stuff. But then Tom Brady decided to unretire, and so we had to talk about that. And there's also been some coaching carousel stuff in basketball that absolutely needs to be addressed. Two quick topics. I'll be quicker on both of these than I normally would be, but Will Wade fired at LSU. Mike White hired at Georgia. Florida fans crying tears of joy in the streets. With LSU, 
again, I'll be quick. I could spend an hour on Will Wade because I think it's fascinating. But the bottom line remains is this. Will Wade gets caught. 2019, he gets caught on a wiretap by the FBI, reported by Pat Forty at the time, Yahoo, now he's Sports Illustrated. He gets caught on a wiretap talking about a strong-ass offer for a recruit named Javante Smart. Ever since then, everybody's asking me, Torres, when is he going to go? When is he fired? When is he this? When is he that? He's a cheater. And what I've said is a couple things. I said, one, I don't think LSU, the fan base, has a thirst to fire him at all. But what I also said was we have to wait for the notice of allegations to come because LSU cannot fire this guy with cause until they know exactly what he's accused of. Last week, the notice of allegations comes. There's this big, scathing, bold headline, major violations, but nobody had any of the details on what they were. Pat Forty didn't have the details. Ross Dellinger, who's a great reporter, by the way, I'm not criticizing Ross, the athletic, the athletic, big, bold, they had no headline. And so I said, look, until we know what's in that NOA, I don't know what Will Wade's future is. Could be fired, but right now, nothing came out of that NOA. Well, here's the issue. On Saturday, we got details of the NOA. It is as bad as you think, and that was why Will Wade was fired. I'm not going to get into all the details. If this was a nor- if this was like an April show, I would probably spend a half an hour on the details of the Will Wade stuff, but let me just say this. I mean egregious violations of rules, and credit to the NCAA, they got people to talk about it. There was some woman that was a fiancé of one of his players who was basically siphoning money off Will Wade like it was nothing. She needed money for this. She needed money for that. Will Wade gave her money for that. She goes, this is a true story. This is in the NCAA document. She goes to buy a car and claims that she has bad credit and needs more for a down payment and hits Will Wade up. And Will Wade's like, I already took care of you. I already paid you. I'm done paying you. So this was the kind of stuff Will Wade was doing. It finally came out in the notice of allegations. And why LSU waited until right now is pretty straightforward. When the allegations first came out in 2019, Will Wade, if you remember, he was suspended for the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament, and he was eventually reinstated, okay? And as part of that reinstatement, here's what his contract said. It said, if I am ever even accused of level one or level two violations, you can fire me with cause. You don't have to pay me a dime. You don't have to this. You don't have to that. If I'm even accused of level one, level two violations, you can fire me without a dime. And so the question becomes, why did Will Wade get fired this weekend? It's because they got the notice of allegations. That's the NCAA report on what he's accused of. And he was accused of a bunch of major, major, major violations. And so that's why LSU did it. They waited. They waited until they did not have to pay him. And now they can fire him without cause and they don't owe him a dime. First of all, smart by LSU. Now, could the NCAA still punish him for waiting for so long? It's possible, but they got rid of him. And it was always going to be this way if he was ever actually accused of anything. I waited for the notice of allegations. I don't accuse anyone of anything until there's an actual piece of paper that says what they did. Well, he is guilty of what the NCAA believes are major violations. LSU was able to fire him without cause, and now they don't have to pay him a dime. By the way, from Will Wade's perspective, you can make fun of him. It was actually a really smart move by him. He could have fought and yelled and screamed and whatever and litigated in court over his, his uh, whatever, his buyout back in 2019. Instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to ride this thing out. I am going to continue to go ahead and recruit at a high level, win at a high level, and collect big paychecks. So you can make fun of Will Wade, but the way that he structured his contract back in 2019, you can fire me with cause when all this stuff comes out. 
But until then, I'm going to collect paychecks, and he probably got about five, six, seven million dollars in the bank thanks to LSU because of the way that he restructured his contract. Now, how much of that he paid to recruits? I don't know. But he got paid an awful lot of money during this time while this NCAA investigation played out. What I would say really quick in terms of LSU, it's going to be a fascinating few months at LSU, okay? And and I'll tell you why. First of all, believe it or not, and you can criticize other fan bases, we all criticize each other, right? Part of being a fan. Kentucky fans and Tennessee fans go at each other. Arkansas and LSU fans, Texas and Texas Tech fans, whatever. This LSU thing is going to be really interesting because one, I can tell you definitively, the fan base did not support the firing of Will Wade. The fan base actually loved Will Wade because as I said on a show a week ago, Will Wade, for all the criticism, was actually a pretty good coach. And you can argue about paying players and cheating and this and that, but once you get him to campus, you still got to get him to play. And guess what? Will Wade did a good job of that. 2019 wins the SEC. Goes to the Sweet 16. 2020 would have made the NCAA tournament. Last year made the NCAA tournament. This year made the NCAA tournament. His final four years, he had an NCAA tournament caliber team. And you can make fun of him and you can this and you can that. Here's the bottom line. History tells us LSU has never really been this good over this long of a stretch prior to Will Wade in a long time. The last time that LSU made four straight NCAA tournaments was when Shaq was on campus from 1990 to 93, okay? So this idea that it's a birthright for LSU to get to the NCAA tournament every year, it's simply not true, and so this fan base simply wasn't behind it. What's going to be more fascinating is what's going forward, and there's two different things. First of all, who the heck is going to take this LSU job? Now, somebody is going to take it, because there's only so many jobs in college basketball that are going to pay you three, four, five million dollars a year, okay? And LSU can pay that because they don't owe Will Wade anything. But at the same time, this idea, and I, you know, I was the number one Scott Woodward supporter, their AD, during the football search, where I said, look, this guy's fearless, he's aggressive, he went and got Kim Mulkey from Baylor, he's going to get a big name in football. I don't think he can do that in basketball. Who is going to leave a good job in college basketball to come to LSU for a program that is probably going to have major, major, major violations, probably at least one postseason ban, maybe more. I don't know, and that's what's going to make this interesting, this, this hire very interesting. I don't know who they can possibly get. I don't know who could potentially be next, but I don't think, you know, I see these reports, and, and, and trust me, I talk to people too. It's not just other reporters saying this. So people are like, well, maybe Scott Drew, he's, you know, there's rumors that he's unhappy at Baylor or that he, you know, the, the rumor of Scott Drew really is that he's uncertain about the Big 12's future and maybe trying to get out. You think Scott Drew's leaving a school he just won the national championship for a program that is going to get crushed with NCAA sanctions in LSU? I don't think it happens. Maybe I'm dead wrong. I've been dead wrong before. I don't see it happening. I don't see any coach that has a real job coming into this SEC right now under major NCAA violations. By the way, coming off a really successful run. Now, I think they can get a successful mid-major coach. I think the guy at North Texas may be a real candidate. I don't see the scenario where somebody great leaves for this job. The other thing that I would say really quickly about the LSU situation, it's going to be fascinating to watch the players in this program and what the future holds. First of all, they're probably going to lose just a couple guys to the pros because they're good. Uh, Tari Eason, is going to be a first-round pick, so it probably makes sense that he is not going to be back at LSU next year. 
Uh, Xavier Pinson is a senior. I know he has the extra COVID year but because of COVID. I don't expect him to be back. Same with Darius Days. But you start to look at this roster. Brandon Murray, really, really good freshman this year. Averaged 10 points per game. He's not an NBA player. He's going to be in the portal. Eric Gaines, really good backup point guard. He's going to be in the portal. He could start at most places. He was a backup this year. He could start at most places. Efton Reed, former top 20 recruit, thought to be a one-and-done. Didn't look like a one-and-done to me. Does he go in the portal? Alex Fudge, Justice Williams, another highly ranked player. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Moani Wilkinson, really good player as well. So that's going to be the interesting part. LSU plays in the NCAA tournament. Come next Monday, Tuesday, if they're out, I could see a mass exodus into the portal. By the way, LSU has two top 15 recruits that were supposed to come in. Julian Phillips and Johan Trore. Fascinating to see what happens with their recruitments. I do not expect LSU. I expect them to lose a lot. I expect them to lose a lot. I don't think guys are going to want to stay in the post-Will Wade era. And because of it, I will just be fascinated to see what happens to this program from here. Really quickly, last coaching carousel topic. We'll get out of here. Long show. How about my boy Mike White? How about my boy Mike White? So I did a coaching carousel update about three weeks ago. And in it, I said this. I said Florida fans are at their wits end with Mike White. And it's not that he's a terrible coach. He's not Tom Crean, okay? He's not, I don't know, whoever. Tom Crean's the best example. The problem is, is a couple things. One, he followed Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan's an all-timer. But more importantly, everybody that defends Mike White always says stuff like, well, you know, I mean, he makes the NCAA tournament every year. The problem is, it's the process of getting to the NCAA tournament for Mike White. And when he gets to the NCAA tournament, he never makes you really feel good about it. I've shared this story before. I've shared these stats before. But year two with Billy Donovan's players, 27-9. and nine. Since then, in a full season, now take out COVID, last year they went 15-10. and 10. In a full season, he has never had fewer than 12 losses. His best season was 19-12. and 12. Since his third year, here's how he finished in the SEC, fourth, fifth, fifth. Here's how he finished in the SEC in terms of win-loss record over the last five years, 11-7, 9-9, 11-7, 9-7, 9-9. has ups, he has downs, he has peaks, he has valleys, he loses weird games, he lost to Texas Southern at home this year. And so Florida fans weren't asking for Billy Donovan 2.0. They were just asking for a guy that doesn't lose to Texas Southern and every once in a while puts together a respectable team. And so Mike White was feeling that heat. And I believe that this offseason, he was going to try and get out for somewhere else. Now, the rumor all along was that he played at Ole Miss and that he could potentially leave for Ole Miss. Ole Miss fires Kermit Davis. Ole Miss hires Mike White. Instead, on Sunday, 10 minutes before the bracket comes out, insanity as Georgia has Mike White and has named him the new head coach. That is right. Georgia basketball took Florida's football coach, Florida's basketball coach. I was going to say they stole him, but I don't think you can steal something that somebody doesn't want. If I leave a broken computer on the side of the, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, for the garbage man to take out and somebody drives by and takes it, nobody stole it. I was trying to give it away. I didn't want it anymore. And that's what happened with this Georgia thing. It is so fascinating to me. And what I will say is this, you know, it's one where I guess in real time, 
my mind was so blown that I couldn't even process what was going on. Part of it was I was on national radio, live radio, so I didn't really have time. The brackets coming out, all that good stuff. But in real time, I had a couple thoughts, but now I've come full circle, and I guess I do in some ways understand it. Now, on the one hand, my initial reaction was this. This was the analogy that I used. What Georgia did, firing Tom Crean to hire Mike White, is essentially saying that you want to go to Arby's for dinner and then say, no, we're not going to Arby's. We're not going to Arby's. Let's go somewhere nice for dinner. Honey, we're not doing Arby's. We're going somewhere nice. Let's go to Applebee's. Awesome Blossom, baby. Well, that's kind of what this was. Sort of an upgrade, but not really an upgrade. Like, this is like Tom Crean with, you know, Tom Crean that occasionally gets into the tournament. And so... My first reaction was when the fan base that loses the coach is the fan base that is happier than the fan base that got the coach, that's when you know the hire is probably not very good. But at the same time, I have come a little bit full circle from this perspective. Mike White making the NCAA tournament and finishing fifth, sixth, eighth, third, whatever in the SEC was never going to be good enough at Florida. I do wonder if it might be good enough at Georgia. I don't know if it'll be good enough at Georgia in 10 years. Like, in 10 years, if he's still doing the Mike White thing, where every year he's just going to the NCAA tournament and whatever, I don't know that that's going to move the needle at Georgia in 10 years. But I will say, when you really think about it from Georgia's perspective, if their baseline is just get us to respectability, just get us to the NCAA tournament, Mike White can probably do that. I'm not even positive that he can, because the thing is, he did inherit a lot of talent from Billy Donovan, and it did take some time, but in year year two, they did make the tournament, and they did have some real talent, they did have some real success, they made an Elite Eight. My question is, can he build, like, I guess my ultimate question is this, if he just gets Georgia to the NCAA tournament every year, Georgia fans will be happy, but on the flip side, what I would also say is the opposite. Is he a guy that can build a program from the ground up? Because he inherited Billy Donovan's players, that's what the best that he ever was. When he brought in his own guys, didn't work. When he hit the portal this offseason, didn't work. So I could go on and on, but that just blew my mind. We've done an hour and a half at this point. I need to shut up and get off air so you guys can just listen to this podcast and enjoy yourselves. So I'm going to shut up and get off air. But what I would say is really quick, this is one, I do kind of see both sides. I understand Georgia just saying, we just want to make the NCAA tournament. We just want to be relevant. But I understand Florida fans crying tears of joy that Mike White is out as their head coach. All right, I think it is time for me to get out of here. What a show today. What a show today. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure that you're subscribed. Aaron Torres Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, all that good stuff. What a show today. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron Torres on, on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And finally, couple things, partners, Bracket Fanatics, BracketFanatics.com. If you are running a bracket pool, awesome site. Sign up there. Everybody pays. Everybody does everything. The site pays for you. You can make side bets. Really awesome. Bracket Fanatics, BracketFanatics.com. Also, the Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge now available as well. The link is in the show description on Twitter. Time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Hates My Voice. Shout out to 
the Georgia Bulldogs. Congratulations on your new head coach, Mike White. Also, Will Wade, shouldn't have paid that woman all that money for her car. Just saying, just my advice, just my opinion, whatever. We will be back on Wednesday. I will give my official tournament picks on Wednesday. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus